0: Hello there and welcome to our podcast, Conversations in Noosa. My name is John Caruso. Katie Noonan has one of those voices that leaves an indelible mark on your soul once you've experienced it. In this podcast, we talk about growing up in a home, brimming with music. We talk about the band George that she formed with her brother Tyrone, her role as musical director of the opening and closing ceremonies at the 2018 Commonwealth Games, and her role as artistic director of the Queensland Music Festival. Plus, what better gift to give kids than the opportunity to make music with your friends? Katie's Project School of Rock now enters its third year. I hope you enjoy the podcast.
1: You know how you think your house is normal until you go to other people's houses and you go, oh, it's not really that normal to not be singing all the time and playing music all the time. And so dad... Was a journalist. He was an investigative journalist um, who worked for the ABC Sydney Morning Herald. He actually read the news for ABC New South Wales um, just before I was born, I think. So he worked at Gore Hill, the original ABC in Sydney in the seventies. But he was a crooner, so he used to do six o'clock rock on um, with like Johnny O'Keefe, and that was the days. They those were the days of truly live television, where. It was pretty fly by the city of your pants, kind of. They'd be told the song the day before that they were meant to do that night and all that kind of stuff. And um, so he was always, he got me into jazz. And so weekends were always, I remember, were spent hanging out listening to The Goons and then the jazz show on ABC Radio. And that's where I discovered, you know, Ella Fitzgerald and Nat King Cole and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, yeah, mum was an opera singer so she was preparing for roles and concerts and there'd be kind of lyrics and translations all over the fridge if she was learning a particular role um, and teaching from home. So every afternoon pretty much there was teaching and Saturdays as well. Music just full stop all the time. So, yeah. And then I had a cool older brother who was seven years older. which Tyrone, yeah. yeah, There's only two of us. The age difference, seven years is huge when you're young.
0: Yeah, well, I've got a sister that's 10 years and we've got nothing in common.
1: Right. Well, we're (laughs) very different people, but music was our common meeting place. Um, and still is, of course, but it was cool having an older brother because while I was vehemently loving Bross and, you know, pretty horrible bands of the 80s, um, he was introducing me to, you know, uh, awesome artists like Crowded House and, you know, Black Sabbath and lots of awesome kind of more melodic, interesting pop. Broadening your palette. Yes, and (laughs) certainly Queen was one of our first... I remember Night at the Opera was a breakthrough album for him and therefore me. Um, But, yeah, so music was always there, but it was a very much a mixed pot of classical mainly, jazz kind of stuff from my dad and pop rock from my brother. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Was it always going to be music as a career for you? Or or was there something else that you, as growing up, you desperately wanted to do?
1: Well, I was going to be a nun. I was going to be a good Catholic girl because my first teacher was Sister Anne Crowley she was the principal at Marta Day Primary School in Ashgrove or St John's Wood technically Ashgrove in Brisbane which is where um, I first went to primary school and I thought she was the coolest woman ever and she was amazing she let me just really be myself I'm a pretty free spirit person and she'd let me put on concerts in the lunchtime and she just was beautiful. And I was like, well, if all nuns are like that, I'm pretty sure I want to do that. Um, I then later went to other schools with very different kind of nuns, which very much put me off wanting to be a nun. When I realized that you were married to God too, I was like, that's a bit weird. So um, I gave up being a nun. I wanted to be an investigative journalist. That was kind of my- Like your dad? Yeah. And then I wanted to be a human rights lawyer that was kind of so I worked really hard at school to get into all the degrees that I could want to do and I got into law but then um, I also got into the con and QT and like all of my music things so I thought maybe that's a sign so yeah.
0: So. Do you remember the first time you sat down and again there would have been so much music in your home the first time you sat down maybe at a piano or picked up an instrument mm. and how you felt and and kind of what you know how how, in terms of I'm creating something now can you recall that moment
1: yeah in terms of creating something of my own that wasn't until teenage years but in terms of losing myself in the magic of music from a really young age um, I started in the Suzuki school of music which was very fashionable in the 80s um <clears throat> and is kind of coming back. Actually, Owen Newcomb, our music director of Humani School of Rock, his daughter is doing Suzuki School and she's playing the pieces that I played when I was her age. So piano was my first instrument. I never really sang, like I didn't take it seriously till teenage years, till mm. kind of high school. But I do remember, um, yeah, the magic escapism of music because I actually went to the con when I was in grade I was, I think, the youngest ever member of the Young Con at the time, so I was really young. I think I was in grade eight or grade nine. So, hanging out with lots of kids who were older than me at the Conservatorium campus at um, Gardens Point, and we—I remember we did Benjamin Britten's War Requiem, which is an intense piece, um, which he wrote it as a, a response and a a, a, a um, political statement against war. In the um, mid-40s and just being on stage with a huge choir and a huge orchestra and just this big, strange, beautiful, moving thing and going, wow, this is awesome. And part of me does miss the grandiosity of classical music. I get to do it sometimes but not not often. Um, But the first time I felt that I kind of was creating something was, yeah, the first songs I wrote when I was – the few of them, I mean, the first ones were horrible, but the first kind of song that I felt, yeah, this is kind of a thing, which was George, which was straight out of high school. With your brother. Yeah.
0: I love what you're doing. You mentioned School of Rock and you're the founder, creator, driving force, all of those things.
1: I was the credit card originally, basically, to, to help. get <laughs> To
0: bankroll the whole project.
1: As And as you know, Deb has been helping us since the beginning to yeah. spread the word.
0: Well, I want to talk about this. Um, giving kids an opportunity, and that's why I, I just wanted to uh, tap into what your home was like. I mean, I knew your mum was involved, and your, your dad as well in music. Yep. But kids, you know, th- the the catalyst for, you, or the, the idea of you giving kids yep. this skill, teaching them to 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 you know, grow, they grow in confidence. Yeah. Um, my son, you know, I, I had to beg for an electric guitar. I don't know how long before yeah, yeah. I actually got one. At the age of six and seven, my son has already got a three-quarter uh, electric and a three-quarter acoustic, and about three amps. Yeah. His grandpa, but he's not interested. Yeah. And I've tried so many different approaches. Yep. I've, I've, I've set it up and thinking he'll mm. pick it up and have a thrash and put it. He'll do it for a day and then yep. nothing.
1: But and our kids are the same, so don't worry. It's but I'm not, thinking your yeah. house
0: is full of music as well, because your well, partner's a jazz saxophonist, yeah. and
1: he's writing an opera at the moment. Are you telling me your kids
0: <gasps> they don't considering the house is full of music? Mm. They they they
1: don't play an instrument. Um, not until recently, yeah, okay. and because I was so paranoid about pushing them into it, because I've seen all those pushy parents, and they're quite um. I think actually harmful, pushing their own agenda onto their yeah. kids, you know, it's probably coming from a good place, but um, of course it is, but um, you can't push, there's probably some great f- philosophical quote for it, but children have to find their own, right. you know, find their own thing, and I believe that children come kind of through us, not from us and so you have to kind of guide them but let them do whatever they want we grew up in a our kids were brought up without television and we still don't have an actual television um we were not screen free till kind of seven or eight so we were the full hippie doodah parents with a drum kit in the lounge room instead of a tv mm. um and a piano and you know saxophone and, and they
0: still didn't it, gravitate towards the instruments
1: they d- not really know like dexter we bought a guitar and you know he did it for a little while but wasn't kind of his thing yeah. but now i'm very happy to say he is mad about the drums
0: did he pick it up because he's got a favorite band or group and he and he kind of looks at the drummer in that and goes that's i want to do that
1: um he's always he's always had a both always had a really strong propulsion towards groove and time so which is important for every musician not just drummers yeah. and i think everyone actually Ultimately, I wish I'd learnt the drums because time is so important to your craft as a musician. But, um, no, I I think we kind of slightly – well, we did – I don't know if we pushed him. He did say he wanted a guitar. Then we got it and same like your boy just kind of sat there. Yeah. Um, um, But now, yeah, he's just – driven towards the drums i yeah. think it's also because it's at his school so it's separate to us and it's his own thing and yeah, right. you know because we're musicians so you know it's it's there's slightly maybe pressure to kind of perform maybe because you are you know all that kind of stuff yeah. which we don't do but they may feel and then now jonah has our second boy our youngest boy has moved towards singing they both sing like angels they've got amazing voices um and Jonah started drums, but and is so good. But again, just kind of yeah. didn't practice, wasn't motivated. So we were like, well, we're not going to do lessons then. It's a yeah. waste of kind of time. It's a waste of the teacher's I'm time. N- I'm not
0: surprised with the vocal. I mean, your 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 voice has been described one of the best uh, there is in terms oh. of, of the, the genre and the and the, the content and the songs that you sing and perform. Um, Vance Joy uh, another young Aussie artist got involved with the project in North America called Ukulele for Kids. Oh cool. And he said that he was inspired when he read a story about George Harrison who would drive around giving uh, musical instrument instruments away randomly to people. Yeah. Because that is such a, a gift and uh yep. and, and 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 I love what you're doing. Well, that's Very similar with with school, school of rock.
1: rock that's kind of how it started. I believe that well, I think everyone and you and your wife are the same. You know, you have a responsibility if you're lucky enough to love what you do to give back to your community. And when we moved to Monday, we, um, uh, I did some community concerts and raised money for the hall, for the School of Arts Hall and then the other 50% I gave to the school and we ended up buying I think about 40 ukuleles and two trumpets and two saxophones and that yeah. was all good. But then I thought really instruments are all well and good and since then obviously we've bought all the stuff for the school of rock thankfully yamaha came on board and gave us to gave it to us for super mates rates um but really it was that beautiful relationship between teacher and student and mentoring but also kids finding their tribe you know like i think nowadays we are so attached to screens um and there is a sense of isolation in the modern world we're more connected than ever because of our bloody devices but just hanging out in a room playing music for the kids. You can see it just makes them feel so good and they're having yeah. fun and they're meeting kids that they don't know from other schools and it's just opening up their mind to a bigger world than their classroom, you know, um, in New Mundi or wherever they are. So, yeah, it's beautiful to watch. It's a very special project. And that's a third year coming Third up. year, yeah. yeah. So first year, as I said jokingly before, was kind of run on my credit card but that's actually – kind of true because I kind of just thought, let's do it, we'll put on a gig. Hopefully the gig will pay the teachers back for their lessons. So the teachers very graciously yeah. agreed to come on board and take the gamble with me. Then we got a bit more oh and sorry, we had amazing support from Echo as well from the beginning. Then we got a bit more legit and became an actual not-for-profit and we, you know, had to do it all just a bit more properly. Obviously, everyone's got blue cards and, you know, making sure we're doing everything properly. And we've had more support from RADF and the Sunshine Coast Creative Alliance and Tourism Noosa and a few other um, sponsors have come on board, which is awesome. Um, and so it's kind of growing into this beautiful thing. And Yeah. yeah. And, and what a
0: great feel-good journey for you and the mm. other musos, some musos from Band of Frequencies who yeah. take these kids on this journey. Mm. And We've been to both the, the gigs there at the um, School of Arts yeah. Hall and, uh, you know, I've watched, I don't know, one kid on drums that's just been outstanding and then another young, yeah. you know, performer out the front doing A Highway to Hell. Or, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And they've really... I, mean, I don't know what they were like before that, but th- they've they really come had out state of their shell. Presence,
1: totally. Yeah. <laughs> yep. No, they've. I know the kids you're talking of yeah. too. Um, in fact, maybe the one out the front might have been Jonah because he pretty much was rocking it pretty hardcore last year. He did, um, what was it, Evie? He oh, suddenly yeah. came out of his shell because yeah. the other song was the Vance Joy one and he was very nervous and he just <laughs> kind of stood there. Yeah. But then um, when he got all the vibe from the crowd, because the crowd are beautiful, obviously, mostly parents and friends and community people um yeah and I remember last year one of the girls had a broken arm <laughs> she was playing keyboards with a broken arm which I thought <laughs> was incredibly rock um yeah they're beautiful kids and they work hard and their hard work is rewarded by free lessons obviously getting into the school firstly free lessons amazing concert, but also we have a bunch of prizes for kind of Um, you know various things most improved or you know the teachers pick it I stay out of all that process because I'm not one of the teachers so I'm just helping try to put it together Um, I think the important thing, just for everyone to know, is the teachers all get paid. So that's obviously um, very, you know, they... But aside from that, it's um, amazing helpers like Deb um, in Noosa Mag and uh, Anthony at Echo and me and Betsy and Lani and a bunch of volunteers (laughs) kind of putting in the hard yards. Um, But it's so worth it to see the kids on the night.
0: You are... I think it was last year... um was it your brother and, and yourself performed?
1: At, yeah, uh, my brother got up. That's right. That was that was yeah. He came up with his wife because they wanted to see Jonah sing because yeah. it was his first time on stage. Yeah. and he was there, and I was like, "Come on, get up and do a tune." So yeah, I actually forgot that. When, when was the last time that you two? <laughs> oh well, we did a George before. reunion tour, so we'd actually. That, that was um, September. T- oh. Was it last year or the year before? Gee, yeah. I think it was last year. Hang on, it was our twenty-year anniversary. We started in f- Oh no, well, two? No, no, oh two was your first album. Oh, um, oh, we um, two thousand and one was Poly Serena, the album, but mm. that was actually like our seventh release. We'd made a lot of EPs before then. That was the uh, That was when we won the. Oh, no, it was 2002. You're right. O two was the ARIA Award, but I think it came out late O one. I don't know. Somewhere yeah. in the early noughties. Um, but, yeah, he was up with his beautiful wife, so he got up and sang a tune. But we reformed well, – yeah, George did a reform thing. Mm. We played every major city. Um, actually, we didn't do Tassie. but well, the we crowd's on. Like- Amazing. Yeah. Ridiculous. It was- yeah. The first show back was seriously magic. Yeah, it was a QPAC. It was fully sold out, kind of like a homecoming gig, you know, wow. from where we started 20 years ago. So yeah. that was pretty cool. We started in 95. So when did we do the festival? It must have been 2016, I think, Brisbane Festival. And then early last year we did um, the rest of the country.
0: Yeah. Can I get thoughts on the, the music industry as it is today? So very yeah. different to when you guys started out recording EPs and then, you know, landing a mm. record deal, et cetera to streaming platforms now. Yep. I hear a lot of musicians talking about, well, has it really cut out the record company? I mean,
1: It has, yeah, is yeah. That
0: a, is that better or worse for, for, for musicians?
1: It's both because the old model was flawed, obviously, like clearly, but it did mean that oh, it's big chat, but um, the old model was you'd sign... The only way you'd get anything out was sign a record deal. You'd generally sign a three to five album deal. You were owned by that label they give you for, some
0: money for the marketing they give for you the recording.
1: well no they give you an advance to make the record yeah. and then they would market it as they see fit etc um but they certainly were never involved with your live income or your merch income and all that stuff that was separate streams of income nowadays if you sign to a record company it's like a 360 deal so you sign away kind of everything like not only your music but your merch a percentage of tour tickets, like the whole shebang because I guess the income margins have dropped so dramatically, um, profit margins, Um, but in a way – Because the system was kind of designed that they could try a lot of acts, so they'd sign, I don't know, 40, and maybe three of them would do really well, but they would help fund the rest of the kind of roster. So in that way, that did mean that they were kind of investing in more unusual artists, I think, Um, whereas nowadays there's a lot more fear. So generally people who are getting signed to major labels, it's pretty – uh, it's a safe bet, you know. They're not kind of signing Bjork or yeah. Tori Amos or Jeff Buckley or Tom yeah. Waits, or you know, they're signing Five Seconds of Summer and yeah. you know uh, Vance Joy and just things that are a little more. Um, I don't know. I'm not. That's not no insult to those acts. I was at the Arias on was
0: Wednesday to ask you about that, yeah.
1: night, and Five Sauce were awesome, and that song is bloody awesome. Yeah. It's it catchy an as. Yeah, they won an ARIA for Best Live Act, yeah. um, which was quite funny because I'm pretty sure they weren't playing live on the night. So that was kind of like, okay. Um, but, you know, that's television. Um, um.
0: A lot of people <laughs> talk about the disposability of artists these days, yet if you stop and thought about it, and you probably know from your dad from, from working with acts back in the mm. whatever, whatever decade that was, that, that, that there were manufactured artists back in the 50s and 60s oh, that didn't yeah. write their own songs, they were given songs.
1: Yeah, totally.
0: Singles long before albums mm-hmm. were... Drove that particular. Totally. Activism. We went through this phase where you know it was all
1: about a had, record, yeah, album. records, albums,
0: yep. kind of longevity for artists. And now we kind now we kind
1: of come back. Spotify yeah, Spotify and, and you're Apple. right. Actually, it, yeah. it seems
0: to be again, and people are kind of dispelling that. That what what, what do you do you think the music industry? Because I know you've got your fingers in a lot of pies. The music industry in Australia is a healthy industry at the moment.
1: I do. I yeah. really do. Um, just finishing off what I was saying before about how the industry has changed. It's awesome because it truly is the age of independence. I remember when John Butler and the Waifs kind of came through. That was one of the first independent artists to really make an impact in a commercial market, um, and that was awesome. And now, since then, it's the age of independent. My last eight albums have been released on my own label. You know, Can that's I ask you kind about of that. What, how do you yeah.
0: how do you get noticed then? Because it, it's all well. Good. That's
1: that's it, what I'm saying okay. now yep. because of that there's just so much traffic yes which is awesome also in the age of digital revolution where people can make stuff in garage band and right. iTunes at home for kind of no Cost because of the leaning towards digital music and electronic music rather than, you know, uh, uh, acoustic instruments in a studio recorded to tape, which costs a fortune, um, just means there's a lot more stuff out there, a lot more traffic, but so much harder to get that cut through. Yeah. And I don't know what the formula is because if I did, you know, obviously everyone would be following it. Well, what kind of
0: <laughs> marketing tactics have you employed in terms to – Because you're right. And I have this conversation with other people. I think all art has been cheapened, whether it's literature, film, music. Well, yeah. uh, And and I think there's two sides of the coin. You know, a kid can make music in his bedroom and put it Mm. on YouTube and that's great. If you're lucky, you might get a million views or whatever. Mm. But it won't
1: actually make. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, yeah,
0: that's the other yeah. thing. You're not, I mean, not going to make money from a million views.
1: Well, I, I don't know. Oh, look, I'm monetizing digital platforms is something that I'm blissfully unaware of, I've got okay. to say. And I very rarely, I don't even upload my own stuff half the time. I yeah. engage with the digital community to just connect with my audience. And that's about it. I don't kind of, I'm not an avid, um, I, I try to do my best with social media, but like I don't have Facebook on my phone or anything like that. Um, I think think i just never feel like i it's pretty intense as it is um i think uh yeah it's it's a tricky time because i think there's a fundamental lack of respect for the importance of the arts full stop in the in australia and i think that comes from a lack of direct uh, leadership from the federal government and a clear lack of financial um funding i mean at the moment i hope i'm saying this right but i'm pretty sure that 1.8 billion dollars of the australia council budget goes to 28 major performing arts companies so in queensland that would be opera queensland queensland symphony orchestra queensland theater company i think that's it and in sydney it's australian opera it's sydney symphony it's whatever it's those big beautiful um i would argue archaic bastions of of art that um deliver an art form that is centuries old extraordinarily expensive and relates to a small percentage of the population so therein for me i think lies a fundamental problem because that's taxpayers money paying for what I consider to be an elitist art form. And most people that I would ask have never been to the opera, never been to an orchestra, which I think is really sad because they are incredible art forms. But I think there needs to be big questioning and big thinking at that top end of, you know, arts policy thinking. Um, Because the other, I think it's 58 million, is spread to the rest of the industry. 58 million, which in the terms of the budget of the federal government is just a laughably small amount um so there's that I just think there's a fundamental lack of understanding of the importance of arts in everyday life and um that can only be changed by big thinkers and big leaders and we haven't had one of those in a very long time (laughs) I mean Keating would have been honestly the last one and before that Goff. so yeah not to say that there haven't been great people since then of course but I think it's a fundamental issue that, yeah, that's quite tricky to overcome.
0: Katie, what was your, um? were you musical director for the 2018 Commonwealth Games? Was that your title? Or? I
1: was music director of the opening and closing ceremonies. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, my God. Would you do it again? Never. No. Never in a million years. <laughs> I, I,
0: I haven't read a lot of that, stuff around that. If if I shouldn't say that. But I knew it was a, d- a tough it was,
1: tar- it, was, it was tricky. Look, it's round peg, square hole, a fundamentally – Um, pure-hearted artist trying to work in a commercially televised sporting event, politicised event, you know, it was pretty weird. Opening, I'm fiercely proud of and I managed to have a lot more creative control in that. Closing was very tricky. I was overruled many times and there were various bits of that ceremony that I would not normally have put my name to, to be honest. Um, But that's just... Uh, yeah, I learned a lot. Yeah, I learned I mean, from amazing worked, people. Yeah. There are amazing people in the team that I learn a lot from. I learn a lot about how I like to work, and I learn a lot about how I do not like to work. And how did, how did yeah. you get the gig? Did you,
0: was it like a um, tender? No, there was they no. You? They
1: just called okay. me, and I thought they were ringing me to maybe, I don't know, sing the anthem or something <laughs> like you know, be in it somehow. And they were like, "We want you to be the music director," and I was like, "Wow!" I mean, huge honor. I was yeah. deeply honored because I love um, applauding anybody who is extraordinary and obviously all the athletes are extraordinary. The way festival or not festivals, but events like that galvanise a community is incredible. The volunteers that put hours and hours of their lives into making that event happen. That's what was sad for me, actually, all the negative press. Um, I think it was a disappointing reflection on the media in Australia as well. We're very good at bagging ourselves, Mm. which is not a nice thing. Like in America, they just don't do that, you know, generally speaking. Mm. It's much more patriotic and much more kind of, go you guys, you know, you're great. Whereas here, the tall poppy syndrome is, you know, alive and well, but also – yeah, we're very quick to kind of be negative, which I think is quite sad. And for me, I was just sad for all the kids who'd spent every Saturday rehearsing that bloody routine for like two months to then just have nothing nice written about it, really, Um, very little written, this is closing, was, um, was, yeah, really disappointing. But overall, I was really proud of it. And opening ceremony, I'm... very proud of. I'm very glad that we made a ceremony that I think was respectful to the First Nations people of the Yugambeh country and of Australia. I'm glad that I made a ceremony that pissed off um, Pauline Hanson, Ray Hadley and Alan Jones. That's, you know, that's the trifecta, isn't it? (laughs) Of how you measure your artistic success. Job done. Job done. Yes. Um, You
0: mentioned (laughs) earlier that um, about Mm. the the desire, or you you could have been a, or you wanted to be a a human rights lawyer in this. Yeah. If you weren't doing music, Mm. what do you think? What do you think you'd be doing?
1: (laughs) I've no idea. I mean, now that I've got the great privilege of being an artistic director of a massive festival, which is the Queensland Music Festival, um, that's beautiful. The chance to dream on that scale is incredible so I guess I probably would have just moved into producing world whether that be producing events like still connected somehow to but I really don't know I mean I wanted to be to do music therapy so I guess I'm always been fundamentally interested in the capacity of music to heal and to do good so I think it's the greatest maker of friends that we kind of have at our disposal as a tool and it's free and everyone that can talk everyone that has a functional voice i believe can sing so it's there ready like you know for you to or you can tap your body and make percussion and sing and you know it's it's an access very easy accessible tool
0: just back to your voice now that mm. you mentioned it and I, I talked about how a lot of people have have commented how it's one of the, 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 the you know the best voices around did that come naturally to you or did you train, did you, lessons, like, was yeah. that, did you just open up and these notes came out and they were pitch perfect and they were
1: – Oh, no, I was very lucky to be born with a voice, definitely, and obviously my mum and my dad were both singers, so – I think it's hereditary. Oh, I do think it's yeah. – part of it's hereditary. Like, yeah. to begin with, there's certainly some natural talent that was – Nature rather than nurture. Yeah. But then I have worked really hard at improving my skills as a musician, and I never kind of wanted to rest on the fact that I could make a pretty sound. You know, that's lovely, but I wanted to challenge myself to make, to learn really hard music and to extend my range. And so. Um, Going to the conservatorium, I started an opera degree. I was lucky enough to learn from the amazing Margretta Elkins, who was one of our finest singers who toured the world with Dame Joan Sutherland and beautiful, beautiful singer. Um, But I realised I didn't love opera enough for it to be my Mm. everything because it has to be your everything if you're going to pursue anything, you know. Um, So then I changed to jazz and that was – I literally knew nothing. I knew Ella Fitzgerald and Nat King Cole maybe miles davis like i just it was a whole nother world where i had to admit defeat regularly at my lack of understanding which was a great challenge and then since then i've tried to challenge myself by learning new i'm currently tomorrow is my start day of learning 10 new extraordinarily difficult pieces (laughs) for um that i'm recording with the australian string quartet in february to, which is the text of Udru a Kath Walker, set to words by 10 classical composers. And they're all really, really hard. So I've got like two months to learn them. Um, so I like – challenge. yeah, so definitely nature. but um, yeah. And then I've really worked on being a good pianist and then a percussionist and, uh, you know, not resting on your laurels. But yeah. does it
0: come effortlessly for you? I've watched you up on stage a couple of times now at a piano and the way your voice – Kind of soars over the notes into different kind of octaves? Would that be Yeah, that I right think word? I've, I guess. And I've, it seems that it's just so.
1: There's a lot of muscle memory involved. I mean, I've practiced a lot. So a gig is like 10 practices at once, I reckon. Yeah. And you should never stop practicing whatever it is, whether it be practicing yoga or surfing or singing or, or you know, writing or whatever it is. Um, I have practiced a lot. So I guess all those hours of hours and hours of practice. Come out subconsciously in a gig when the magic of performance takes over and you're just kind of in the moment. Because I think the thing about musician is being a good musician is you want to learn all these tools so they're in your tool belt and Mm. then you've got them all there. But in the moment of performance, you don't want to be thinking about technique.
0: It comes naturally.
1: You want to be talking about the story. Well, as a singer, my thing's all about telling the story and sharing the story. So, to do that, you don't want to be thinking, "Oh, I've got to do this vowel shape for this F sharp here," and you know, all that stuff is muscle memory. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: So I know you mentioned Ella Fitzgerald a couple of times. as mm. a, a great jazz artist and singer performer. Uh, is, is there a vocalist or a musician or artist around mm. a, a, aside from Ella Fitzgerald that that you would or listen to oh, and go, "Wow, that person." Many,
1: many, many. Got,
0: uh, an amazing voice.
1: Yes, so many. Um, Alison Krauss is one of my heroes if you haven't anyone who hasn't heard of her check her out she's incredible um Uh, I mean, classically, I'm a huge fan of Renee Fleming. I think she's an extraordinary singer. Cecilia Bartoli is an extraordinary singer. I just had the privilege of singing with Teddy Tahu Rhodes. He's a monster. He's a um, Maori, or I'm not sure if he's part Maori, but he's definitely a Kiwi um, bass baritone. Greta Bradman, who's the great Don Bradman's granddaughter, actually, is a truly extraordinary soprano rosario lespina he's one of my favorite singers we studied at the con together um he's a beautiful singer based in brisbane world-class tenor um Lior. yeah yes later, do yes <laughs> who else do i love um leor leor's yeah. incredible um one person i'm really loving at the moment is ainsley wills she's a um hang on i've got that name no, wrong no that's right Ainsley Will she's an amazing beautiful singer songwriter from um, Melbourne Melody Poole she's incredible she's from Newcastle Way um, Claire Bowditch I love Claire's voice oh gee oh there's so many good voices um I was trying to think of other ones that you I love plenty
0: there I always yeah. like tapping into and then I you know I have a look at I look them up on Spotify and I listen to you know when people mention that artist or this artist or
1: well, they're all mainly Aussie. Yeah. So Alison Krauss and Katie Lang are the two greatest singers I think I've ever seen live. Their pitch is yeah, perfect. I've seen Katie Lang live in Melbourne. She's inside. a monster. Oh, amazing. and the Punch Brothers. You've got to check them out. Yeah. They're incredible. Do you know those guys? No, but I've had enough. Oh, they're so good. And yeah. they're five boys who all sing. And they all generally, like Katie as does at the end of her gigs, they all are around the one mic and yeah. they mix themselves, just stepping in and out. Yeah. Um, Punch Brothers are amazing. So good. I love Tom York's voice, Jeff Buckley, Rufus Wainwright, you know, people that sound like themselves. Kira Peru, she's a badass. She's amazing. Mojo Juju, she's awesome. All of them Missy Higgins, Kate Mullahidee. Oh, Casey Chambers. I mean, my God, she sounds, you know, Dolly Parton. Oh, So many good voices.
0: Thank you so much for coming in and sharing some stories.
1: My absolute pleasure. Thank you.
0: Katie Noonan was my guest today on Conversations in Noosa. I hope you enjoyed that. What a great chat. Lovely lady. And uh, an amazing voice. Now, if you enjoyed this podcast, please feel free to share it about on your social media networks. And if you're listening via iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Wooshka or even Spotify, please uh, rate and leave us a review as well. Don't forget there are fresh podcasts every week on our In Newsom Magazine website, innoosomagazine.com.au forward slash conversations. Until next time, take care.